We'll read Micah 3, verses 9 to 12. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins and the mountain of the house a wooded height. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we begin today a series on Micah, the prophecy of Micah. And we look at chapter 1, verse 1, and we can see the time when Micah spoke these words. It was a time of the kings of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Isaiah the prophet was also around at the time prophesying against or to the people of Israel, the people of Judah. It was a time of war. You can look at kings and chronicles and all around there, there were wars. You can, they had newspapers then. It would probably be similar to the newspapers we have today. They would hear about nations attacking nations, except that it was very close to where they lived. Chapter 1 talked about a whole bunch of different little towns. It was using poetry when you read of a town, uh, Beth Afra. It speaks about being in the house of dust. It says, don't roll in the dust, oh house of dust. It was a lot of poetry being used in chapter 1 as, as Micah was describing what was happening all around them. The foreign enemies had taken several cities of the north. It was that close to them. The Israelites had recently attacked Judah, had come in and destroyed a a whole bunch of the cities around Jerusalem, had taken captives, men and women from Judah. And as they were coming home, you can read the prophet Oded, who said, hey, this isn't right. Return the women and the children back to the land. It was a time of war and turmoil. Uh, And as people fled to Jerusalem to flee the, 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 the wars and the attacks, they were met with their brothers who were taking advantage of them. Fellow Jews in leadership positions were taking advantage of the needy who were coming into the city and we read of horrible corruption, political corruption. There was corruption among the judges. There was corruption in the religious realm as well. And all the while the people were saying, isn't the Lord among us, <clears throat> they had that temple. Isn't the Lord happy that we're building Jerusalem up? We're making money. We're making the city bigger. Even if the money we're using is prostitute money and blood money. Micah's prophecy comes in this context. He's talking about everything that he's seeing. And it's very emotional. The language is, is very choppy. The, the grammar is, is, is incomplete. It gives a message of a very direct and a very powerful character. And using the imagery of a court case in which God is the judge, the witness, and the prosecuting lawyer, Micah accuses the wicked of making straight 
are making crooked all that is straight. We'll see that in the first point that's connected to verses 9 and 10. Unlike the false prophets of the day, Micah was a true prophet, and you can read in Micah 3 verse 8 that he uh, was filled with power. He was filled with the Spirit of the Lord, with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. And so Micah comes speaking the truth, and he reveals to the complacent that they were believing a lie. We'll see that in the second point of the message this morning. And that God was planning to bring an end to their complacency by destroying the nation and even the temple. With a relevant message for today, we find that we are living in a very similar context, similar behavior, similar sins, similar complacency. And the gospel message for the church today is that God will not allow oppressors to continue to attack the church. As he promised, he destroyed the city Jerusalem and the temple where his name was dwelling on the earth. And he did that so that no one would think that God allows selfishness and greedy oppression in his kingdom. He is a pure and a holy God who loves his people, who saves them from oppression and from their oppressors. And even though there may be times of tribulation and upheaval as God is punishing the wicked, even the wicked in the middle of the covenant people like the, the people of Israel experienced when, when they all were led into exile, the church of Jesus Christ can always know that God is holding them in their hand. And I preached you the gospel of Jesus Christ under this theme in a divine court case, God reveals that his kingdom will be cleansed of oppression. We'll see that the accused make crooked all that is straight, that the witness reveals the lies of the complacent and the punishment brings hope to the humble. It's good to have your Bibles open. We'll be looking at a lot of the verses in these first three chapters and we'll see that God sent Micah to the covenant people to show them how much he knew about what they were doing. And Micah uses words to, to paint a picture in such a way that there would be no mystery. The Lord knew what the greedy people were doing in the capital cities of Samaria and Jerusalem. We see that in verse 5 of chapter 1. He knew about the idolatry and the prostitution, chapter 1, verse 7. He knew what they were thinking and plotting while they were lying on their beds. That's chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. He knew the judges in the land were accepting bribes. We read about that in our text, chapter 3, verse 11. And they were doing that to cover over the sins of seizing the robes of the rich and the, and the delightful houses of the women. We read about that in chapter 2, verses 8 to 9. The Lord knew that his people were ignoring justice, but they even hated justice, as we read in chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord knew that they were using their ill-gotten gains as blood money to buy more idols. And so he says in chapter 1, verse 9, your wound is 
incurable. Wicked business practices, seizing land, robbing robes from the rich when they weren't even counting, thinking about war, and all the while they were claiming the covenant blessings as their own. They were chugging their beer, they were sipping their wine, they were drinking their strong drink, covenant blessings. And they thought everything was okay. And the Lord accuses them. He says, no, everything isn't okay. Do you know where that money came from? I do. And as we hear this, we think, well, it's a strong message against these complacent rich people. But when we look at chapter 2, verse 2, we see that he's talking about coveting, covetousness. And since the heart of every, every sin is the covetous desire to have something outside of God, then Micah's warning also reaches our hearts and lives even if we don't get to the point of, of seizing land from others just to be richer. Greed makes us make crooked all that is straight. To the people in Micah's day, and, and it's also the same today, they looked like they were making good business deals. They had legal eviction notices in their hands. It was legitimate expansion of their kingdoms, of their homes, and, and of their cities as they stacked on property upon property. Isaiah speaks against the same sin of the, of, of the rich. But to the Lord, what did it look like to the Lord? And we see that in our text, chapter 3, verse 10, Jerusalem is being built on blood. Jerusalem on iniquity. And then, brothers and sisters, we, we see how, how horrible greed and selfishness are. And only the disgusting picture of chapter 3, verses 2 to 3, can make it clear what is happening. Micah is shocking God's people when he uses this word. When they looked in the mirror, they, they saw a nice business suit. They saw a big house. They saw a fancy car. They saw an upscale government office, real estate buildings, a bank, a state church. God says that he sees, and then we read it, people who hate the good and love the evil, who tear the skin from off of my people and their flesh from their bones, who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off of them and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron. prophet saw the slimy corruption and the greed and the selfishness, all he could do was lament. Chapter 1 verse 8 is howling like a, a bunch of jackals. You've ever heard a bunch of dogs and they all start howling, trying to outdo each other? There was a prophet howling away, rolling in the dust. As he thought about the sin of God's people, a sin that was so embarrassing, so shameful, that he didn't want them to talk about it in gaff. He didn't want them weeping aloud. 
Didn't want the pagan cities to hear about what Israel was doing. And the sin was spreading like gangrene, this selfishness, this greed, it spreads. We read and it went through Lachish, another city, went down into Judah. That's a place where both Israel and, and Judah's sins, or kings, they sold themselves to Assyria and Babylon rather than trusting in God. And as the Lord, the faithful covenant God, saw this, it was like a, it was like a husband. It's like a husband who, who comes home and he finds another man in his, in his bed with, with his wife. Or it's like a mother who sees her, her daughter come into the house all, all drunk. Or a man who sees his brother actually, actually hurting an innocent person. It, it hurts to our hearts because of our love. We cry in sorrow and shame. And Micah does that. He, he's crying in sorrow. He's crying in shame because he knows how much God loves his people. And it makes their rebellion and, the, and their uncaring nature even hurt him more. And Micah knows also the consequences of their sin. He knows what they will suffer because of it. Now Micah doesn't talk about the sins of God's people to give the wicked or to give the devil any glory. Nor does he speak with self-righteous pride, but he reflects the love of our Lord Jesus Christ, who mercifully reveals what sins offend our holy and just God. And then, like our Lord Jesus Christ too, as he even weeps as he sees Jerusalem, as he sees his people continuing to live in these sins. Even as he accuses, he is weeping because of his love, because of his desire to see his people live in the glory that God has in store for us. And brothers, when we read this, and sisters, brothers and sisters, when we read this, we have to be careful not to throw it all way before the exile in the Old Testament. Maybe, maybe we have built our homes or our businesses only thinking about ourselves. Or maybe we have justified hurting another person, kind of stepping on their backs to, to get ahead. And we've done that because of our greed. Sometimes we have to ask, and today we need to ask ourselves, does our love of money or personal comforts ever make us cross the line and cause another person to suffer unnecessarily and, or even worse, cause another person to lose his ability to enjoy his inheritance in the church, the blessings of being a covenant child. And we could think very practically about the products we have in our homes. Do we know where they came from? Does it matter where they came from? Is this something that we as Christians need to care about? Micah says, yes, you need to think about that. Are our morals directed by our personal benefits? Like the prophets, the prophets who prophesied peace when they had something to eat, but they prophesied war against those who didn't give them something. Micah 3 verse 5. 
And then we see, brothers and sisters, that Micah says it's not enough just to be associated with the church as if your knowledge of Scripture will help you. It's not enough to say, like the people of Israel said, well, the Lord is in our midst. Because if we are making crooked all that is straight, then you will see that the Lord is in our midst in a different way than we had imagined. We see that in our second point, as the witness comes out. Now that we have the background, and that poetry has is, is, been made clear into what it looks like, what was happening. We know what God was seeing among his people. We know what God sees among his people. Then we need to go back to the beginning of chapter one to see in what way God was in their midst. Look at the picture of God's coming in the first verses of this book. We kind of sang about it, Psalm 50 as well. See the glory of his majesty. See his power. The mountains are just melting away before him. No one can stand up against God Almighty coming in his glory and his majesty. This wasn't just a little small g God dwelling in their midst that they could manipulate and use as they wanted to refer to him as as they wanted to. He wasn't a small g God that, that depended on the people's faithfulness in coming to church for his existence God is powerful, he's majestic, he's sovereign. He comes from his temple, we read in chapter one. He is to be feared. And he stands in complete contrast to the slimy, corrupt leaders among the people at that time. Micah one shows that the wicked were wrong to think that they could lean on the Lord, that he dwelt in their midst to support their evil schemes. He is, we read in chapter one, the witness. He is the witness who is present among his people. And you know how he was present? He was present among them in the, in the prophecy of Micah. He was present among them in the, in the words of Micah telling them that these were sins. Micah stood among the, the, the nation that was living in the sin like, like a mighty mediator, that the glory and the majesty and the light of God was shining among them. The word is truth. The word was uncovering every hidden thing. The Lord Jesus spoke this way also in John 3. He came to reveal all that is happening in a time of battle and opposition. In a time when the enemy is, was drawing near to take over the historic church ground. And, and we could see that whether it be Assyria in the time of Micah or whether it be ISIS in, in our day and age. We love to talk in response about the fury of God and his punishment of the, of the wicked. We love to see that picture of the Lord storming down from Zion to, to punish all our enemies we could see ourselves as church cheering him on. That's our God. He will punish them. He will punish them. He will get them. And then Micah says, and he's coming to us. Verse five, is it not Samaria? Is it not Jerusalem? Isn't it among you? And so the prophet prophesies that the people of God We're living in sin, the people of God. It's a painful thing to hear. And the Lord shows that he understands this. 
It's the difference between a faithful prophet and a false prophet. And so the Lord, as a witness, he lays everything out clearly before his people. There can be no doubt when the Lord speaks. There can be no doubt about what he likes and what he hates. And the true prophet reveals this truth. The contrast keeps coming up in these chapters. We read in our text that the, the priests were teaching for a price and the prophets were practicing divination for money. Paul speaks about this to Timothy as well. The difference of preaching the word in season and out of season versus preaching what people's itchy ears want to hear. Sometimes today, just like in that day, Preachers are told that they must not preach about disgrace. And very interesting in our text, uh, in chapter 2, verse 9, the, 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 the wicked who were living this way, they didn't use the word preach, they used the word Babylon. Quit your babbling on about disgrace. And then it says, they said, isn't, isn't the Lord patient? Isn't he patient with us? Shouldn't we hear more about his patience? Just like in the days of Micah, the, a lot of the rich and the wealthy and the oppressors are, are, are telling the church, you have nothing to do with my business. Stay out of my business. Don't tell me God is a harsh and a grumpy God. You see, it's not nice to hear a prophet talking about the covenant curses for a man who is handing out eviction notices and building his empire on the shoulders of others. But then Micah says, why? If I was standing here preaching about wine and strong drink, well, then, then I, you would like me. Then everything would be okay because you could continue on in your sin. And brothers and sisters, as we read this, we are reminded, don't believe the lies. Don't become complacent. You are not okay on your own strength. If you live with a covetous heart, you are not able to just walk into the presence of God based on, on your own good works. You need to know there is no place for the greedy and the selfish in the person in the kingdom of God. And Micah preaches that God will punish the greedy and the selfish. And then he also makes it clear that the punishment of the wicked brings some comfort to those who are faithful, who are being oppressed. Verse 12 starts with the word therefore. Therefore, so that God's people will never forget what happens to those who surround themselves with, with false prophets, false prophets who are teaching that it's okay to oppress others in order to get rich as long as you use your money to build up Jerusalem and to pay the priests and the diviners. It's okay to make lots of, get lots of land. And then God says, because you have been living this way, Zion will be plowed as a field. Jerusalem will be a heap of ruins and the mountain of the house a wooded height. That's verse 12. And again, the prophet wants you to imagine the scene. Maybe two hikers walking. And what, what, did, what did they see? They saw a plowed field. They saw a, a wooded height. 
They would have said to one another, this, this used to be Jerusalem. The center of worship would be destroyed and abandoned. In the same way, actually, that the ruthless entrepreneurs had taken away, taken the land away from, from families so that they could build up their own empires, the Lord now promises that enemies would come and would take, <clears throat> take away their allotment. They wouldn't be able to have the line drawn in, in, the, in the temple anymore. And they would hear the enemies come and say the same thing that they said to the, the poor women or the, the wealthy women with their families when he says in, in chapter 2, verse 10, Arise and go, for this is no place of rest for you. The punishment would fit the crime. They had told the prophets, the true prophets, to quit their babbling if they couldn't say anything nice. And now their punishment would be that the access to God through the temple would be shut down. Micah 3, verses 4 to 7, says that although even if they should cry to God, he would not answer them. God would hide his face from them at that time. The false prophets would just get all their predictions wrong. It would be disgraceful. It would be something that people would laugh about. It was a punishment that God brought against the wicked nation. The wicked oppressors had chosen wealth over peace with God through humble submission and obedience. Therefore, God told them that they would lose their wealth and their relationship of peace with God. And again, this isn't just to the, the rich. The Lord is talking to those who are coveting this wealth. It could be the poor as well, coveting the wealth over the desire to stand in a relationship with God. The punishment surely, surely would fit the crime. The greedy and the selfish exiles would become a dispersed tribe that would be separate from the salvation in Jesus Christ. And the message comes very clear to each one of us today that, that persisting in selfishness and greed makes it impossible to experience God's salvation in Jesus Christ. Back then it was about the temple. The temple was the way to come to Christ. Today we know that's through, through the Lord Jesus Christ as the way that we get to God. The punishment is like coming to a church where there is no Christ. That's what God was saying. Because of your behavior, you'll go to churches and there won't even be a way to me. There'll be no Christ. And the only hope for a sinful, covetous man or woman is to recognize his or her sins. That's why God sent his prophet. That's why we hear it today. To think about our priorities to humble ourselves before God, to confess that covetousness and then to come before him in humility and to come before him in love. You see, the Old Testament person who earnestly loved the Lord would have longed for another temple to do all this properly. But we today recognize that the destruction of the temple on earth proved that God can be reached. Even if there is no temple, he could be reached through his son, Jesus Christ, in the flesh of his own son, Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is revealed in more detail in the later chapters of, of this prophecy. But already at this point, 
The righteous who heard the prophecy would know that God would not abandon them. Was not God destroying the wicked in order to save the faithful remnant? And were not Zion and Jerusalem and the temple being destroyed so that the way to God would no longer be paved with the blood of the poor and the oppressed, but so that a new and a living way to God could be opened up? If you look at Micah 2, verses 12 to 13, you can see words that were especially important to remember. I will assemble I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel. I will set them together like sheep in a fold, like flock in its pasture, a noisy multitude of men. He who opens the breach goes up before them. They break through and pass the gate, going out by it. Their king passes on before them, the Lord at their head. God is saying he will use that exile, that punishment, to gather together his faithful remnant. They emphasize that even though the soldiers, even as the soldiers were herding the people of Israel together like, like a flock or a noisy multitude of men, the hand of God would be in control of everything. He would use the exile. He would use the punishment to gather the remnant together. And although they may see a different king walking there in front of them, it was really the Lord himself who was directing all these things as he realized his plan. The Lord was at their head. And then when we go back to chapter 3, verse 12, in this context, then we also notice that the Lord is giving hope about the, promisement, about the punishment. It was only going to be temporary. The selfish and the greedy may bring down the wrath of God against the whole nation. And it may happen that the structures in Mount Zion will be destroyed together with the political capital of Jerusalem. But then we read that the mountain of the house was only overgrown. Chapter 4, he's going to come back to that mountain. But the mountain where God's house had been is only overgrown. And the remnant of God's people would be gathered there once more. And so even as they heard of the punishment and the wrath of God, the faithful remnant could also hear this little glimmer of hope. We'll see more of that as we, we go on in the prophecy of Micah. Micah is called the conscience prophet because he, he pokes the conscience of God's people. He shows us that God, the holy judge, can look at our lives and he's got x-ray vision. He can look through the outer facade and he looks through to see what's living in the heart. Whether it's really cannibalism or if it is love and sincere desire to serve the kingdom. And like James reveals in the New Testament, the Lord sees where our wealth comes from. And what it is that we really desire above everything else. And he knows if our selfish greed has led us to hurt someone else. And he punishes this, the oppressors by removing this oppression from his presence. And so weeping because he knew the outcome of those who persist in rebellion, Micah's prophecy urges us as God's people to love justice 
with the same passion as our covenant father to, to seek his kingdom and to seek his glory over a life of so-called earthly pleasures here on the earth. Isn't that what our Lord Jesus did when he took the side of the humble, and the weak, and the vulnerable in this world? But even, even if you look at your life and you are a lot like the rulers in Micah's day, rich from fraud and greed, even so, the Lord Jesus looks at you with compassion like he looked at Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. And then he says, I've come to save, to seek and to save the lost. Brothers and sisters, for us, the way is not closed and shut like a destroyed temple. But for us, the way is always open in our Lord Jesus Christ. And although we may have to face difficult consequences, shame, restitution, we may know there is always a way back to the Father in His Son, Jesus Christ. He was destroyed on the cross, that's true. But He destroyed death. And he rose, and he is the living way. And he restored the mountain of the house of the Lord. So do not let this way become overgrown and abandoned in your life because of your selfishness and your greed. May your, the way to the Lord Jesus Christ, may the pathway to him, the, the prayer in his name be well traveled by God's people today. Our Lord Jesus is there. He calls, he gathers his own. We know him, we love him, we trust him to lead us through the valleys of trouble to our place in Zion's glory. Amen.